Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The Post Analog Podcast for Generation X. Hey, it's Charlie here with the Post Analog Podcast. This is episode one, and what I'm uh, about to release right now is an interview with Jacob Matthew. He is a millennial, even though I mentioned that the Post Analog Podcast should be for people over 40, but I do believe this person is an old soul, especially after interviewing him. He was so self-aware as far as for changing his career, his pursuit. You know, sometimes people get engulfed into into pursuing like what you're passionate about but he went into the route of uh what he's good at and what i really love about his story is he kept pursuing in the field of production you know he put out he's the executive producer of the minimalist less is now it's a netflix documentary you should check it out and it's so interesting because it came out at a time where You know, it was at the height of the pandemic. Everyone is bored. And the impeccable release of you needing to become minimal or at least minimizing your ancillary life was really key and themic to the project that he put out. He's also an East Coast head, so he has that sensibility. And without giving too much of the interview, it's just... It's amazing to me how people change careers and switch onto another road and pursue it really hard. Though he is a young person, he definitely has an old soul and he's a very inspiring individual for anyone of any age group. I feel like he's so akin to the mentality of someone who's so learned and experienced in life. So here we go. We talk about multi-topical stuff, whether if it's how he's being raised, the career switching, being self-aware, and even some stand-up comedy. So I present you on the Post Analog Podcast, Jacob Matthew. I came up in Philly as far as like my film career started in Philly for sure. Okay. Um, But I grew up outside of Chicago, actually, which funny enough is where I'm currently talking to you from. I'm actually in Chicago right now. But I, um, but uh I grew up outside of Chicago and then, um, and then I moved to Philly, um, uh, after college. So I was like 23 when I got to Philly and then, um, that's when I, and I did not go to school for film, but, um, and, but pretty quickly after that, I realized that's what I wanted to do. I, I kind of realized that I was playing music and then I kind of realized that, um, I had this moment where, um, I realized that it doesn't actually matter how hard I work at singing or practicing or becoming like whatever. I don't have the natural ceiling to like be John legend. I just don't have it. Like I had met a homie who was just a singer who had like no voice lessons, barely did any like, and just was great. Like he just had it, whatever it is. You know what I mean? And, um, and that was like a huge eye opening moment for me of like, Oh, interesting. Um, and this is what's the thing I do a lot of, I like do coaching with is this idea that I think when we're younger, we, we get told to like chase a big dream. And one thing I'm really passionate about is helping people learn how to build a good dream. Like there's difference between like, Oh, romanticizing something that you want versus looking into yourself and recognizing that you have a skill set whether you've identified it or not. And if you refocus to actually the thing that you have a high ceiling on, it feels really good to be good at something. And, and you can go be good at something. And so for me, my kind of move out of singing into filmmaking was like, when I was in a band and doing music, it was like, I was really good at knowing what the branding should be. I knew the direction our band should go in. I knew the kind of music we should do. I knew the tone that we, I, I knew what sounded good. I was good at like knowing what it should be, but as much as I wanted to be the lead guy, it just, I didn't have the ceiling to do that. And so like, like t- from a talent perspective, and then I realized that I maybe wouldn't have had this verbiage back then, but in, in my soul, I kind of knew that um, creative leadership, like helping take creatives and maximizing their potential was what I really was best at. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll just, I'll go start. Bar- I mean, I, I'd already bartended for forever. And so I was like, I'll just go back to doing this and bartending and I'll 
call myself a producer and I'll get in the film industry and let me start trying to meet cinematographers and let me see if I can find DPs who like need help growing a business around what they do. And I'll just try to do that. And so, yeah. And so that was in Philly. And so for three years, I tried it with a friend for three years. We tried to build this company and the company was called, Oh yeah, cool. I think it still exists actually out there somewhere, but, um, and then three years uh, later, it just kind of fell apart. Like it, it didn't work. We lost a big client. We had this documentary we were going to do that kind of fell through and it just didn't work. And he's off doing his own thing. And I kind of, we stopped working with him and, and then but it was working. It just didn't work. And so then basically I was like, well, I think I can do this. It just didn't work the first time. And so I met another cinematographer who I'd met in Philly along the process and Chris Newhard tried again. And second time has been going well. So second time is Booklight. And that's the company obviously that I own now with Chris. And um, we've been really grinding with each other since 2019. So we're kind of into our, th- our third or third and a half year of really working hard with each other now. And uh, that's where I'm at now. Where did you learn that? To where, okay, not going to be a singer. The first production company didn't work out, but I'm going to push on. And, and, and for me, uh, I'm a big stand-up comedy fan. I was going to toss in like an Andrew Santino reference because he's from Chicago also. Uh, I love Shane Gillis, which we'll talk I'll about say, later you know on. the Gillian Keeves thing? Great. Yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah, totally. Um, but is that something you learn from family or is that something from like podcast or YouTube or was it just like in you? Hmm, that's, that's a great question. Um, so here you don't even know this about me. You'll like this. You'll like this answer. Cool. So um, when I was younger um, growing up outside of Chicago, um, I did karate. I'm a black belt. I, I like did karate. So oh. I am, um, I, uh, it was Shotokan, um, like sparring, like point sparring, uh, like WNKF world national karate federation sparring. And, um, and I was really good at it. So I like kind of had hit an athletic stride as a young kid doing just like doing that. Um, and I became a black belt, like really like, like, I mean, it's very hard within Shotokan to like slowly do that, but I did it fairly quickly within like the, within my world. And so I was like, I remember when I was, um, I would, I would be like, a. 12 year old purple belt. And at local tournaments, my coaches would have me like fighting the 14 year old black belts. And I would just go get the shit kicked out of me, like in local tournaments. But then when like state and nationals would come, I was just cleaning. And I think from a young age, I've always had really positive, um, like mentors in my life that would knew who knew how to take aspects of what I, my potential and help me be in uncomfortable circumstances to like push past those things. And so I think that, and then also my dad's a behavioral psychologist in an entirely separate way. So my dad's a behavioral psychologist. So some combination of internal drive to get past emotional, uh, like I'm very good at enduring emotional pain. So, so kind of a, 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 I've always been good at enduring emotional and physical pain and like working hard to get good at something. And then I think combining that with, honestly, the unbelievable privilege of just being raised by a behavioral psychologist who kind of just like, so my ability to compartmentalize and separate what I intellectually think and emotionally think about something, I've just had more practice than the average 29 year old has had practice doing that. So for me, it's kind of like, I just have, yeah, like the, the grind to self-awareness is something that like, I've, I've just put my 10,000 hours in on it in some way. Like, I just, I don't know, like even since I was a kid, you know? Like prepubescent 10,000 hours yeah. too because of no, the dad and, and the training, you know, that big kind time. of discipline. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because I, I feel like, you know, living in LA, this may tie into according to what you want to coach as is if you're in LA and you're around people, but your tribe or your wolves that you're with are just hustling for the moment and for the glamour versus like, hey, let me learn from this fuck up. And maybe I need to switch tribes. Yeah, man. And, and then maybe I need to be self-aware and, and act appropriately. Well, man, it's so heavy. So, Dude, LA is crazy like that. I, I mean, LA is specifically interesting like that because um, one thing I like to say to compare New York and Los Angeles is that um, New York and Los Angeles are both cities that people use to like move forward. Like you kind of like use the city, like, like, like Chicago, Philadelphia. I mean, cities have been used by culture almost by their construction of like, like sociology, like sociologically speaking, like cities 
have been used for work and commerce. And that's how they evolve is people coming together to exchange goods. That's how cities evolve. But in the entertainment industry, New York and LA, um, people use them in that, in that way, very specific. Like you kind of use the city, but I think the big difference is that I found culturally is like, when you move to New York or you're going to go use New York, there's a very, there's a, there can be this very cutthroat, like insanely Darwinistic level. It's like being in New York city, but you still kind of feel like you're a New Yorker. And one thing I found about Los Angeles is I don't know if people like, I think people use LA and then, but they often don't give back to LA. And so it, it kind of can become this vanity cycle of like, I'm here to use this for me as a part different than yes, I'm using this, but I'm a part of a larger collective, a larger tribe that's like coming up. And I feel really fortunate in Los Angeles. And I've met a bunch of like, I live in the arts district in downtown Los Angeles. And so, um, that's dope. I, yeah, I love living down there, man. It rocks. And so I've met this, like, we, I kind of just like this whole group of like young, um, like entrepreneurs who just kind of like are doing different creative fields and like it's really cool to be around people who like seeing you win and who you like seeing win. And it's not intimidating or it's not like uh, a problem when your friends win, like seeing my friends win gives me so much joy. Cause number one, it's like, you get to just experience the complete joy of seeing a friend win without the complications of how it affects your own personal life. And, and then also like, I don't know, it's important to, to be around people that are doing well and winning, not so that you can use them, but even just so like, it almost just affirms that like those paths are possible for you when your life is difficult. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I listened to how I built this by uh, NPR. Yeah. So you, so you learn all the mess ups that everyone makes. Totally. So th there is no math. You can try to construct a math, but there is some kind of math, but really you have to do it yourself and learn totally. like Mark Cuban. I remember saying was like, well, people say follow your dream, but I say follow what you're good at. Exactly. Which, which you've said on, on a friendly peer type interview, you've said on the webinar that I bought from stage 32. And that, that's the true balance, I feel like, of self-awareness, right? I mean, if you can't really be Kobe Bryant, yeah. And you're 5'7 and you're an aging Asian. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it, it's not good. You can't even ball out at 24 hour fitness. It's yeah. not going to happen. You totally. know what I'm saying? Totally, dude. But, so, like, but that, and that's the thing is like also a really important differentiation I would make here too is like, I love what you're saying about like, I love that, that kind of like alternate phrasing of like not chasing a dream, but chasing what you're good at. Like that's, that's a great other way to say that. And I think the thing I, I would say is one thing I find myself um, maybe to my own detriment, sometimes encouraging people about is like, I think there's this cultural desire to take your passion and turn it into your career. And that can be a really, that can be a, a cool thing to do. I've been able to do that. You're doing that. Like, like that's a, a cool thing to be able to accomplish. But also sometimes it's okay and important to let art and passion just be art and passion in your life. Because when you bring money into the equation to associate with that passion, it turns into a job and aspects of what made you passionate about it will change. I'm not saying they'll go away, but they'll change. And I think a lot of people lose a passion because it becomes this grind. And like, the, I mean, look at the greatest classical music of all time. Look at some of the greatest paintings of all time. Like these people weren't famous when they made them. Like it was made out of pure, authentic, like love of creating. It wasn't made from a, a capitalist money grind brand content thing. Like so much of nowadays is. And so um, I listen, turning your passion to a career, you know, like I'm help coach people in this and I very passionate about it, but also um, I think it's important that is in society, we stop morally, even accidentally and subconsciously morally condemning people for not taking a passion and being able to monetize it. Like who fucking cares if this adds value to your life and your family and your community. Great. Who cares if you're making millions of dollars on it? Like if it's adding value to your mental health in your life, it's a win as far as I'm concerned. Right. Because then sometimes the destiny really is you grind an eight to five and then you feel fulfilled. Let's say you start for a YouTube channel for your kid or you train yeah. in jujitsu and yeah. that's where your soul feels good. Yeah. Great. And, 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 Hey, if it becomes an entrepreneurial adventure, 
it, it will be, that's awesome too, is amazing. That's what I'm doing. That's why I love doing. I think the point I'm making is it's, I'm not moralizing either version of it. I'm saying the one, the one that's, you have a nine to five and you're passionate on the side and that's what it is. That's great. That has pros and cons. The, the turning it into your entrepreneurial venture has pros and cons. <laughs> right. It, it just, it has a different pros and cons. And like, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So it's not that I would encourage or discourage anybody from doing that. You know, people are going to do what they are called to do and what they want to do. But, um, and I would help coach anyone in the direction that I would see fit by their unique basis. But, um, I think it's important that in society, we stop morally, um, status shaming each other by how, how successful any one person's thing has been. Like, you don't know what any one person's journey has been or what is the healthiest thing for them in their life or their family. Like, I just think some of the grind culture around creative entrepreneurialism can get toxic in a way that I don't think it has to be. This might be good in tie of like conversation shake for people also. Like we were uh, on, on Instagram DMing and some people, let's say in your previous field, bartending, yeah. Some people are lifers and they're like, dude, this is what I want to do. I want to meet people. I want to slang alcohol. Yeah. I like to hook up with hot chicks yeah. And, yeah. and, and this is what I do, but I know people who are going to listen to this and they're, they still feel they're going to make it in the acting field, which is great. Sure. But bro, you're almost 50. Yeah, sure. You sure. know, so do, do you spot that easily where you go like, dude, you're, you're, you're let, let's use waitering. Sure. You're not doing auditions maybe once a month. Yeah. And you're prioritizing, well, if I lose this shift, I lose 500 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you spot that? And can you like, how do you feel when you spot that? Yeah, th- this, is a, this is a great question. And I think it's a really important thing to like sit on and chat about for a minute because there's a lot of people, you know, listening to this or anything that are in this space. I was in this space for years. I know this very intimately. Um, so... Um, oh man, I have so many thoughts about this. I'll try and go slowly. Um, first <laughs> is from a pretty base worldview perspective, like, like I, I'm going to answer this. I, this is a good question. I want to answer this really well. So okay, thank you. from a base worldview perspective, my personal worldview, um, I don't even know if I call this worldview, but I would say it's, I've done a really good job of learning how to construct, what I would call it a very, um, evolving uh, worldview. What I mean by that is I understand what I know today, both from like a knowledge perspective, but also from like a value and what's important to me and what I value today. I could sit here today and talk to you about that today. And then I could go throughout this next week and a few things could change in my life and I'll adjust what I value and what I know to the new, better information that my life is now contextualized by. The reason I say this to, before I answer the question is sometimes we start in something. And we're like, I'm going to bartend and I'm, and and this is a means to this end. And I know people who did that and then fell in love with bartending. Amazing. All good. Amazing. Awesome. So you, so you're, you're like, in in fact, you realized I'm so good at this. Like I'm good at connecting with people. I love doing this. I'm, I love making drinks. I love to own my own bar one day. I've known people who've taken this journey that they thought it was going to be this thing. And then it turned into this other thing. I know people who were like, I'm going to be a director. And then they started being a DP. And then all of a sudden they realized, wait a minute, I love being a DP. I don't want to direct anything. I just want to be a DP. So I, I think this, for the first, my first kind of comment about this is, and anything that you do, um, I have become somebody, and I should give a shout out to my buddy, Josiah, um, uh, uh, with Balance Creative. He's the one who helped me think about this. I've stopped having concrete goals in my life. And I've started having abstract goals. Meaning that I can sit here and tell you that, you know, I want, you know, book light to revenue, you know, X seven figure number this next year. I can sit down on this podcast and tell you that all I want to. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it doesn't right. matter what I tell you right now. What will matter is what organically happens out because of the disciplined actions that we do and just the wins and losses that come with running a business. So what I am starting to do is more like we, we did our Netflix documentary and now we're developing like four other documentaries right now. And I would love for two of them to sell this next year. And they could, we have some paths in place for that to, for that to, to maybe happen. Could not happen. They might not sell for two more years. The question I ask myself is not, 
Am I matching the concrete goal I set for myself? It's, am I abstractly and actively moving in the direction I want to move in? So if you're a waiter or you're a bartender, you're listening to this. If you still believe that you're putting in the work to grind and become a great actor and you're, you think you could have this Morgan Freeman, you get your first role at 55 kind of career path. Fine. Awesome. Are you putting that grind in? Are you really working on your craft? Are you putting in your 10,000 hours or has waiting tables or bartending become just kind of like a crutch that you lean on and you have to do your own self soul searching work on that. I can't answer that for you, that person. You can't answer that for that person. Only that person in their soul can really look in the mirror and go, am I still, is this something that I'm using on the side to pay for what I want? And I'm actively disciplinedly working on developing this craft so I can become a competitive player in the marketplace. Or has this become just something that you do? And I would not moralize either one of those. It's just that unique person's story and how they want to move their career forward and how their life is uniquely adapting. That's my very long-winded answer to your question. No, I love that. You're you're a long-form dude and you're very structured, <laughs> which is cool. But but you're also a creative, so you're not like just binary, but you have like yeah. a paintbrush of a of an answer, which is great, man. Like it's, yeah. for for hosts like me, it's easy peasy. Like I could okay. literally be like so stoned and just ask one <laughs> one okay question and then she uh, gets to. That's what we should have done instead. What are we doing? Totally, <laughs> totally. Well, I <laughs> I used to, I interviewed Be Real from Cypress Hill. I'm going to date myself. He's a rapper. Yeah, okay. And got a contact high. I was just like, yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> fucking hip hop. Podcasting in California, baby. Oh, fucking hip hop, man. You know, <laughs> just doing that. But, um, you know, like one thing between LA and New York, I'm not trying to start a Tupac Biggie fucking got it. Brendan, Brendan Schaub versus, uh, God, what is his name from... Uh, Louis J. Gomez. I'm not trying to start that that war. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not trying to start that, but I feel people leave L.A. because, like what you said, it's become the makeup. Yeah, it's been their blush and lipstick to go. Oh, dude, I'm pursuing it, and then I leave L.A. Then I go. Oh, I fucking hate L.A. They're full of shit. Well, it's kind of like, well, you kind of stayed in that full of shit pond. Oh, you never left. Because there's great people in LA. There's great people in New York. There's shitty people in New York. There's shitty people in LA. That's life, man. You know what I mean? Right. And and I feel like it's since it's 2022 now, you there's so much information to learn from people. But but back to you. Sorry. That's just, you know, what I love about like how you are are eloquent in answering questions. Do you feel that? the term millennial can be used in a bastardly way by older people like me, because I feel like it, it, we were judged by the silent generation and the boomers. I'm a Gen Xer. You fucking Gen Xers. You, 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 you guys. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. Um, so. May I help? May I help painting? Sure. Okay. There's, Jacob Matthew, hustler killer. Okay. There's Jake Paul, hustler killer. Okay. Two different types. Sure. Right? <laughs> sure. One yeah. is like Hong Kong Peking duck studied. One is fucking Panda Express. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I love both, by the way. I love both. Yeah. Yeah. So th- that, that's the extreme example of millennial, right? So millennials from my you know, life observation, um, have been critiqued for being entitled. I think that's the number one critique of a millennial is, 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 um, I was told that if I worked hard, I was told that if I went to college and got these student loans, I would have a job that paid it off. I was told that if I chased after my dreams, they would happen. Um, I think this is the, this is the negative. This is what I think people put on millennials. Um, I have lots of thoughts about this. But so I think it, it can be, but to a separate degree, I don't care if you're a baby boomer, you're a Gen Xer, you're a millennial, you're Gen Z, you're whatever. It doesn't, um, I'm a pretty, I mean, this, here's my, here's behavioral psychology influence on me is, um, doesn't matter. Like, like you can tell me, you can, call, you could say whatever. And there's natural influences that will influence me because of how old I am, I suppose. But at the end of the day, 
your personality type is way more important than your, the, the generation you grew up in. Um, the disciplines you add into your life are way more important than that the, the positive relationships and negative relationships in your life are more important than the generation that you grow up in. And so sure people can generally categorize that. And I think that there is a world that millennials could, I think that that could be an accurate general category of like, Oh, even like with some of the, the free speech stuff, I'm not to get into a political issue, but even like some millennials were a very, very big, a big mover in the like, um, uh, like you shouldn't be able to call me X or like, don't, don't like, like this kind of thing. Don't label me. Don't label me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, or like it's, I can be offended by all these things. And to some degree, like we both love comedy. I mean, there's a degree to me where I'm like, I have pretty tough skin. So for me, it's like, I mean, somebody could come up to me and be like, you're an idiot. I'd be like, oh, interesting. I'm really curious why you think that. Like, I wouldn't be offended by it. <laughs> I would be like really curious as to like, oh, interesting. I must have done something that made you think I'm an idiot. Wow. I'd be really curious to know what I said that made you think that. Like that's, that would be my gut reaction. It would be like cu- curiosity, not defensiveness would kick in for me. So like, like I, I think my whole point is, yes, millennials can be categorized negatively, but I mean, it's, it's up to you're letting yourself be a slave to that. Like any person's letting themselves be a slave to that categorization. You don't have to be a slave to it if you don't want to be. Yeah. And, and, you know, to back up your point, uh, I figured someone's into stand-up comedy. We're kind of like our own folks, right? We're like wasabi, you know, we got a little bit of kick in our personality. Sure. So for me, I, I tell people like, well, look at all the senior citizens on Facebook and they're obsessed. Sure. I had a friend's uncle share fucking X video porn by accident to where <laughs> my buddy had to take out all those oh, no. <laughs> child fuck village in Thailand, uh, no, interracial no. blacks and whites. Oh, no. You know, they, it was like on his timeline for like a good 13 to 18 minutes. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's pretty scandalous, you know, and I tell people all the time, it's like, no, if, if, if someone who's 60 had this, when they yeah. were 13, yeah. they'd be doing the same thing. And, and, and it would, it would shape your worldview too. Like, like that's the other thing too, is like uh, one thing I think a lot about um, uh, not to get like into a deep philosophy conversation, but also do is it, like, do it. Yeah. One thing I think a lot about with like, I, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't have a smartphone until like in, into college. So like, I didn't grow up with a smartphone. Like I'm not Gen Z in that way. Right. Like I didn't grow up with technology like that, but I, I grew up with a, AOL dial-up computer, you know, in a sense, to some degree. I mean, we weren't like rich, rich or anything either. So I had like a few of those kinds of things, I guess. But I don't even think I think my first gaming console was like it wasn't like the newest, nicest one. Like I, I, I maybe it was like a GameCube or something. Like I don't know, like whatever. But I was gonna say that like one thing I think a lot about. I think this impacts our media. This impacts our society and our politics and everything that we're doing. Is I think that we're, we're being fed access to more pain than we know how to emotionally handle. Um, and it's important to share when, when we have major problems and and pains and social media can be really helpful in like getting awareness out there of things that need to change. I think that that's really, really great. But I think we, we've hit a, a bit of a threshold here where like, there's so many things that are wrong that you're being fed all of the time. And you actually, as an individual can't, in fact, it's not that you can't do all of it you can almost only pick one. Like you, it, like, I, I don't need, I, it's like, oh, do you want to solve the opioid crisis? Do you want to solve, um, uh, do you want to be a, a political party activist? Do you want to solve um, Asian hate? Do you want to solve Black Lives Matter? Do you want to solve, I mean, I mean, there's so, uh, you know, sex trafficking. I, I mean, like pick the thing that you want to solve. You can't solve all of them even, 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 even close, let alone if you dedicated your whole life to one of them could you make some incremental difference? And I'm not trying to be a like, let's throw our hands down and, and surrender. We should be actively trying to make the world better. But one thing I think about a lot is I think it's actually really helpful to learn that we don't have to be impulsive, but we can be intentional. We don't have to like react when someone's saying something, you can be thoughtful and put thoughtful action to the things that align with your skill set and your beliefs into moving something forward. And that can be in your personal career. That can be, um, you know, just privately, but um, I, I started to think that we are we are at, we are being fed and told to be outraged by so much pain content that we actually are crippling ourselves from being productive sometimes and actually making any real change. Just a thought I've been I've been thinking about that a lot recently. So do you feel I almost I'm not a parent, so I don't know. But I mean, I, I, 
Bravo for living the life. <laughs> living the life. Very nice. Um, I, I feel like then if you're raising a child, they have to be like Eminem trying to get into the black rap game. You know, it's like, yo, you're in the you're a digital native. So okay. this is bullshit. This is a front. This Kardashian shit. They have the most implanted fucking things in their bodies. Sure. And you need to explain that to them. So don't be affected because you got my genes. So you got a little bit of a fucking beer gut. At yeah. The time, yeah. You know, and you're eating rice and soy sauce. Okay. Yeah. You know, so I feel like growing up even beyond Gen Z or just whoever, the, the parents need to go like, look, this is fake. This is bad. This is up for you to be judicious on. And where do you foresee things happening? Because like, you know, there's, there's so many ratings about teenage girls being so depressed on social media, specifically Instagram. Yeah, totally. You know, where do you foresee this coming well, uh, we actually talk about this in our documentary lessons now. We literally talk about this. What a, what um, a radio guy. Hey. Brilliant sick. Brilliant sick. Brilliant sick. We do, though. We do. Um, uh, we call it, um, uh, it's called the, the vertical expansion of our reference group. So back in the day, we had this idea of keeping up with the Joneses. But, well, the Joneses literally were your next door neighbors. It was your community. It was, it was how do you orient yourself from a social stratosphere perspective relative to your community? But now it's, how do I orient myself relative to the Kardashians? And like that gap is so vast that it's like, oh, there's this hot TikTok girl. Well, why don't I look like her? Um, that must mean I'm not beautiful. That's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are we talking about here? Like you're an unbelievably beautiful person. Reference the fact that you have to be constantly bombarded by not even celebrities anymore. I mean, even with the TikToks, interesting. Like the whole TikTok girl thing is a really interesting thing too. Because now that's not even like a famous person. It's just oh, this random girl from X on TikTok is just so beautiful. Well, now it's not even that I can't amount to famous people. Average people are just more attractive than I am. Like it, the feed, the negative feedback loop is so extreme. And so, what I would encourage people to do is realize that this is a tool that you can use in your life. It can be entertainment to some degree, and that's fine. Um, but when it comes to orienting your self-identity and your self-worth, um, I, I would wildly encourage somebody to, uh, keep that close to the close-knit people that you love in your life and use that as a reference group to how you establish yourself, not the unending deep well of the internet. Yeah. But my theory is me growing up, don't go through the back alley, but now it's like, go through TikTok carefully. Yeah, man. That, that's where it's, it went from analog to digital. Oh Yeah. You know, um, when you moved to LA, were there, were there any discouraging points where you go, you know what, you know what, you know, I'm done with this place. I'm going to go back to the East Coast, real people, conversationalists. You know, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I'm so I've had big discouraging points in my career for sure. I can um, imagine. Um, and we're happy to be vulnerable and chat about some of those. Um. I can tell you about, you know, day we, we had a client who gave us a half a million dollar project and they just ghosted us. And I watched half a million dollars walk out the door. I mean, I mean, you can, the unending journey of not only being an idiot who wanted to be in the film industry, but an idiot who wanted to be on his own business in the film industry. Like there's a lot of pain sure. <laughs> on that journey. But um, one thing that I think I organically did well, um, you know, sometimes people say, you know, you go to New York or LA to make it or something. I took a bit of a, of a, in some sense, I had established myself before I went. So I already had a, a profitable company before I moved to Los Angeles. So um, we had already booked a Netflix documentary before I moved there officially. So, so this is book like now. You're talking right. So, so okay. we, I already, that's exactly right. So are, we are, Chris and I had already had a revenue generating asset before we like started to expand into like out of Philadelphia and into Los Angeles. I mean, now I'm doing some expansion into Chicago. Like, like we had already had something established before we did that. Um, and so I never had this moment of like, LA is discouraging me. Um, I was pretty proactive to meet some interesting people pretty quickly. I already had some established relationships um, since I've gotten there, we've already developed a, a relationship with an amazing um, uh, uh, influencer uh, who is in the health and wellness space, who we're doing a, docu a future documentary with him right now. Um, that's really, really wonderful. Um, and so like, 
I don't know if I've had a discouraged about Los Angeles moment yet. Um, it's not as beautiful as a place to live in as I think I probably romanticized it to be. Like, it's a fairly like, like my neighborhood's nice, but like uh, LA is kind of gross. I think that was one thing that kind of hit me moving there. I was like, oh, this isn't like how it was advertised to me. Um, but, uh, but no, from a career perspective, um, I've enjoyed Los Angeles. I think it's been, a, it's been a helpful place for me to be. Um, but, uh, my hardships in business have, I think just come more in the general grind of building something great and the ups and downs that come with making original content. And like, even like making Gillian Keeves, like what a unbelievable high it was to release that and have such amazing positive response and really help a, a, a friend reestablish a career after a wild thing that had happened to him. Like that was really, really cool to be a part of, but also like the stress of making that like we, like I'm the executive producer of that project. Like we paid for it. Like it was Shane and me and, and uh, Chris Newhart and like McKeever, the director, like we made that, like that was literally that project. 100% is friends making movies a hundred percent. Like in every way that was friends making movies together. So and like, you're still friends. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. That mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, totally. No. I mean, it doesn't always end up that way. So no, I mean, love those guys and, and man, it's uh, yeah. So I would say that, um, there's just ups and downs that come with being in filmmaking and, and being um, an entrepreneur, but no, uh, Los Angeles hasn't specifically given me bad blood yet. Well, good for you. It, it seems like a lot of that comes from your basics. It's like your stance, mm -hmm. your jab, your cross. It, it's all your fundamentals from yeah. upbringing. Cause, cause yeah. I mean, like my life is also like, I, I think it's like, it could be for somebody who's like, Oh, I want to be a film producer. Like, Oh, it'd be cool to like have a career like Jacob or do something like that. Like, um, I think that's another thing I'm pretty transparent about when doing like coaching with people is like, <laughs> is like, a, um, and I think even in my posts, I'm pretty transparent about this to some degree too. Like, I don't think I have like overly fluffy, uh, like my post actually I'm putting out tomorrow is, 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 is most people are average and I have a whole thing about, about it, but it's like, my life is pretty hard. <laughs> my, my life is pretty fucking tough. And so it's kind of like, um, uh, um, actually my, even my, my a couple, a couple of my tattoos um, are about this idea that like, cause I've thought a lot about privilege and, and like, I mean, I'm like a white heterosexual male. So there's some, like, like there's some cultural privilege I've had coming up in some degree for sure. But one thing I think a lot about is not as, I don't mean privilege in that sense. I'm even privileged in the sense of just like being somebody who has access to money or owns a company and like some of the privileges that come with like flying business class or some of these kind of things that start to come as your career grows. Um, one thing I think a lot about is this idea that it's a Simon Sinek. Uh, it's one of his ideas, but something that I really love is um, um, well here, I mean, it's a Simon Sinek thing, but the idea is like in a, in a wolf pack, there's like the, the alpha lead wolf or whatever. Right. And the pack is happy to let this wolf mate first, eat first when the kill comes in and to its fill, mate to its fill and eat to its fill. And the rest of the pack is happy to have the scraps. And you're like, why, why is the pack happy to do this? Well, the answer is because when danger comes, that now well-fed, well-reproduced alpha wolf takes the responsibility to protect the pack and will die for it. So they evolutionarily are happy to let this one be stronger so that they can preserve their existence. And I think a really important thing, and one thing I talk a lot about is like, especially like in, in the contribution to like, you know, like, um, things like racism and sexism in the industry, you know, uh, I can't, I can't necessarily be the one to move women's rights forward or black or Asian rights forward, but I can be the one to redefine what it means to be me. I can be somebody who redefines what it means to look like a wealthy white dude in the film industry. I can do my part to reshape what it, what the, what it means to be me and that you can't be a fucking asshole and be me. And so one thing I, I think a lot about is if you have privilege, especially earned advantages, I would even maybe call them advantages over privilege is if you have privilege, you better be using it to protect your fucking pack. You better not be using it to just get shit done and live your fucking fancy life. And so for me, that's something I'm really passionate about. Like with my team is like, as we grow, um, I say, I get paid on two days. I get paid when we win and I give it to the team and I'm not in the room and I get paid when we lose and everyone goes home and I'm the only one in the room. Those are the two days I get paid. And um, I think as a leader, that's, that's your responsibility. It's pretty intense in a sense of like leading in entertainment. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I just learned how, or I'm learning. I just learned, I'm learning how to shoot on a red. 
Oh, nice. It's it's a beast of a camera. Yeah. You know, I was done in Kruger affecting like, oh, dude, I, I got a 60D. Fuck yeah, all y'all. I'm fucking Spielberg, dude. Until, you know, you pair this Leica lens with this fucking red and it's creamy and buttery. And it's like, oh, oh yeah. I was I was a real big dipshit then because it's like the 60D. It's great. Start. You're doing something, but there's so much more to learn. And I, I feel like um, w- w- with the leadership that you're trying to provide for your crew, I'm hoping they eventually also spread the love. They become leaders on their own production company. You know, that's my dream. That's what I want to do. I, I, I don't, I, I will know that I like my big goal in life will be accomplished when I'm like 65, because my real goal is not to just be successful, but is to like, like pay it forward, leave. Well, I, not, I wouldn't even necessarily, I, I have a lot of thoughts about this. I, I want to be very careful with my words. It's not even necessarily to pay it forward. It's, it's that through my leadership, I would have grown up other generations of leaders um, that are positively in ripple affecting the industry and whatever that they're doing in positive ways. Um, and I don't need people to know that I'm the person that helped them get there. Um, but I care a lot about developing talent and developing leadership a lot. Do you feel uh, with everything going towards streaming is is tv going to be left behind the way podcasting is slowly leaving radio or do you feel like they're two different facets well i mean it's a good question i, mean, I think with things like peacock and and um you know like this like some of the traditional cable tv networks have just also adapted um uh you know at one point it was called a silent film and then it became a movie and then it became you know uh then it became television and then it became i mean distribution is going to always evolve, but the core of telling good stories is never going to change. So yes, will distribution evolve for sure. Will how we consume the product evolve? Definitely. Um, but will the pure dynamic of, can you emotionally engage with humans through story hasn't changed at all in the same way. I think with radio and podcasting, it's like, it's like, are you able to connect with somebody on an emotional, comic, intellectual level and give them something that adds value to their life in a spoken word format? That hasn't changed at all. The distribution has changed, but and the and the commerce has changed, but I don't think the core of the of what we actually want is changing very much. Uh, and and I feel like if what it comes down to, I was just watching YouTube interviews of the director for Squid Games. Mm. In the end, it's about story. Right. Exactly. Yeah. In the end, it's story. Um, I wanted to ask you, I guess for my show, I call it putting yourself on blast. So you're going to choose either or. Okay. All right. All right. Let's go. I'm ready. Here we go. Dave Chappelle or Patrice O'Neill. Oh man. Hard one right away. Um, Chappelle. Why Chappelle? Um, I know what Patrice means to the industry and I know how loved he is. Um, I just genuinely having, uh, have consumed more Chappelle than Patrice. So Patrice would be an inauthentic answer for me. Mm. I, I will say not to go left a little bit, but I, I will say Patrice was headed towards becoming like the soothsayer because he was the first guy that told jokes. But when he was on Opie and Anthony, I don't know if you listen to them, um, he was the guy that applied his humor and then became long form speech. So, yeah. so, but for me, Chappelle's the goat, dude. Yeah. yeah. I'm certainly not shitting on Patrice or what his legacy means to stand up comedy, but I think my answer has to be Chappelle just from what I've consumed. Okay. Since you've been an Angelino for a bit, is it Italian food or Mexican food? Mexican food. Was it always that though? Pre LA? For me, yeah, I love Mexican food. I like, I, I yeah, yeah, I, I like Italian food too, but like, I love Mexican food. Dude. Yeah, because, but did you get the experience when I first moved to LA? I'm like, oh, this is Mexican food. Yeah, totally. I mean, I grew up outside of Chicago. Or, I mean, I mean, Philly has, Philly is a great food city, and there's a sure. ton of great Puerto Rican food in, in Philly as well, and things like that. But like, um, because it's like the, you got the New York, Philly, East Coast, like shit going on. You know what I mean? But no, I mean, the Mexican food in, in uh, LA is great. <laughs> Ari Alexia or Red Dragon? 
Red Dragon, we own two, red. Although I think Alexas are awesome. Um, I think Alexas are awesome um, for sure. Um, I just, we just own two reds. So I have to answer red. I feel like, like that's like what we use the most, but also, um, I would say no camera composition and a great DP can use any camera and make something look amazing. That's my real answer to the question. Okay. Customized color correction or a LUT? Customized color correction. For sure. Why is that? Maybe just because I'm at a fundamental learning stage. Maybe it's easier for me to use a LUT, but why customize color correction? Yeah. I mean, LUTs have value. Um, I mean, like for sure. But um, uh, Chris, my business partner, who's the creative director for Booklight, is just also like, like he colored our Netflix film. Like he's just a colorist too. So I like, I just, um, I really appreciate the value one from a matching cameras perspective, but you know, when you need to, especially for documentary work, like you're matching cam, like a documentary is almost never made with only one camera, just by the nature of how documentaries are organically cut together, but like really taking your time to really color something with the emotional intensity and intentionality to make sure each scene is exactly how you meant it to be. Um, means a lot. And, and, and there's a lot that goes into coloring a film that I think, adds emotional value to the end product that a traditional what at a high level, I don't think can accomplish the same way. Okay. Last one. Then I'll go back to two more questions. If you have time, I, I got time. I'm, I'm not right. Philly or Chicago. <laughs> burn some motherfucking bridges, bro. <laughs> burn baby burn. I have to answer Philadelphia. Philly. I've not lived in Chicago long enough to answer Chicago. I know people from Chicago are going to kick me out after I've said this, but <laughs> dude, Philly rocks, bro. I love Philly, dude. Like Philly. I mean, like my people like Shane McKeever, like Chris, like all my people are from Philly, dude. I even think my personality has become very shaped around. I mean, I'm a, I'm way too positive of a person for anybody from Philly to claim me, but I, I would say that, um, uh, there's just something about the, like, like uh, I, one way I describe the difference between New York and Philadelphia is in New York, it's like people are, don't want to talk to you because they think that they're better than you. And Philly, people don't want to talk to you because they don't give a fuck. <laughs> and, and, and I love that. Like, I just love this attitude of like, yeah, I'm in my pajamas outside. Who are you? Who I don't, I don't care. I don't need to put on anything to impress you. Like I'm from South Philly. I don't care. Like I, I grew up, I'm not grew up, but I lived on like fourth and Greenwich in South Philly. Shout out to Grindcore Coffee and you know, everybody down there. Shout out to New Wave Cafe, all my homies. But I would say that like, I, uh, I just like, there's something about Philly as an attitude that like, I think is shaped, especially like my ability to put up with emotional pain for a long period of time. Like Philadelphia just has that energy of like, Life sucks. Who fucking cares? Keep on going forward. Like, I just love that energy that Philadelphia has. Uh, let me back you up for the listening audience. All right. I'm a big Laker fan. And Kobe Bryant was being interviewed after they defeated Allen Iverson's Philly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Kobe was like, oh, absolutely. I'm going to slit their throat. And <laughs> Kobe grew up in Philly also. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next time Kobe played at Philly, they booed the shit out of him every time he played ball. And, know, was, and then there, you could feel like the Allen Iverson army, just like, dude, you were one of us, but yeah, now man. you talk shit. Dunzo with you out of here. Yeah, I here. have to answer Philly or they won't let me come back. Do you know what I mean? Like they won't, they won't let me come back. <laughs> Chicago's it's Midwest, dude. They're nice. I, I can come back. It's fine. Right. Well, well, if you, are you ever looking into having kids? Uh, one day. Yeah, probably down the road. Um, I mean, my, uh, my life is so complicated. I would love to be a father one day for sure. But, um, but uh, I will let that organically play out as it naturally does. Right. Is, is, if I may ask, uh, is the person you're dating from the East Coast also? Did you meet here in LA? That's a great question. Um, uh, uh, maybe not for this podcast. Uh, I actually like was married and am separated from my marriage. And mm. then um, actually I'm like now out doing that again. So uh, I don't have a good answer to that question at this moment. Okay. Very cool. But well, dude, I mean, it, it's tough when you have kids and you're doing what you're doing. Big time. I, I know a lot of talented people that were broadcasters and musicians also, and they had kids at like the age of 27 and they were like, 
And so that's where like, I'm really grateful that like, I haven't had kids yet because like my life and even like my, my wife, like we're really close. Like she's going to go kick ass in her life. Like, well, there's no like, animosity there. She's amazing. But, but like, um, yeah, there, I think there's a, there's a dynamic of like, um, of like you, you, I have a naturally complicated life and I'm very intentional with people, let alone like a kid or something. So like, I'm pretty intentional about that. Pro- I'm not like sloppy or lazy in that process. Like that's something I, I'm pretty intentional about. Okay. Do you feel, this is the most hacky question. Uh, let me preset. Like a lot of like stand-up comics talk about like, oh, cancel culture, cancel culture. But I feel like it's evening out now. Like Shane, I'm the most contrarian Asian you'll ever meet. Like I didn't find what noodle. I mean, like, dude, that he's just poking fun, dude. It, if you recorded me in my 20s, I would talk so much shit about everyone, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, like, I'm like Bobby Lee. I'm like, no, nah, man, that's comedy. Yeah. I pledge allegiance to comedy first. Sure. Do you feel it's evening out now or is, is canceling a motherfucker still yeah, prevalent and a, powerful? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, um, what's going to happen or how it's evolving? Um, good content in general, like good quality content will win in the long run period. Same the way like truth will win in the long run, no matter what. So like philosophically, even if a philosophical idea is controversial, if it's true, then over time, like time will wear that out. Look at Patrice's career, look at Chappelle. I mean, I mean, like you pick any of these for even like kind of comedy perspective, like Bill Burr. I I mean, like great comedy for people who love comedy are, is going to win out over time. Um, so I'm a big believer. I'm not like a, uh, freedom of speech thumper, like a lot of like comedians can be, um, or like Rogan and this kind of stuff. I don't just necessarily disagree with them. My comment about it as an artist in general, I grew up as a conservative Christian. So I grew up as a, I grew up as a millennial conservative Christian. So there was this dynamic of like, I grew up like that was my family. Right. So it, I remember like adult swim would come on. And it was like adult swim was the like anti-censorship, like the, like the liberal left was all about anti-censorship. It was all about freedom of speech. When I was a kid, the left, the freedom of speech and the left were the same. When I was a kid, it was don't censor us, no censorship. We should be able to say where we want to HBO should be able to have nudity when they want to. And as a Christian, it was like, oh, wow, this is wild. Look at all this creative expression. I'm not getting access to because I'm living within a censored culture. So it's been interesting as an adult to now grow up as a millennial and like become a creative leader in the industry and see that like now the right is asking for freedom of speech and the left is asking for censorship. And so the point that I'm making is this is going to keep doing this dance as culture naturally evolves. So I don't really care. Like I, I have a lot of opinions about like the right and left in my almost hate of every hate of all of it. Cause to me, it's like, I'm just trying to make great art and make great work and make things that I think are powerful and impact people. And whatever you want to fucking call it on the political spectrum line, I could literally care less about. Like I just is not a part of my shelf space. When we set out to make Gillian Keeves, McKeever, Shane and us, the goal was not let's stick it to SNL. The goal was not let's make something that no one would ever let us make. It wasn't screw all the cancel culture. It was none of that. It was, Hey, let's sit down and just make an amazing piece of work that no one's letting us make because all the doors are getting shut. So what if we just said, who cares? See, this is my whole, who like, sure. The world can tell you whatever. And we went, oh, we think we're great. We think we can make something amazing. We don't need everybody else or people to open doors for us to make something that's going to impact people's lives and be funny and be something that people are going to love. Let's just make it. And so I think, and then how people want to position that in culture, knock yourself out. Uh, I, it wasn't a goal of ours and I don't care. We're just trying to make great at Booklight. I make great high-end film products. That's all that I do. That's my only goal. It's my only desire. I do think it's important to keep freedom of speech for any artist, a conservative artist, a liberal artist, anything. It doesn't matter to me. If you're going to make art in any capacity, you need to be able to risk offending people to make something good because otherwise you're not going to make anything good. So that's probably my answer to that question. Yeah, and I feel like, with with certain things there's it's like a economic product life cycle right it, it rises it stays steady and matures everything will happen i mean i hate to talk about economics in that sense but metaphorically 
anything that happens is like that. And I just can't wait for the day to where, you know, we can just take nuance about something. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? The day will never come that everybody can. Agreed. Right. Agreed. So, so that, that's what I'm saying. Like I spend no time waiting for other people to get their shit together for me to get my shit together. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like if I waited around for the world to get their shit together, I would have accomplished nothing in my life. So to me, it's like positive people in my life, remove people who are no longer positive in my life, keep moving towards people that are, keep doing great work, growing as I can, helping others when I can, taking self-responsibility, moving my life forward, no excuses. And like, even when I have major excuses that I could have, I've literally, as a, in my 27, 28 and 29 year old years, I ran a film agency that was a travel-based film agency during COVID. We had to rebuild an entire business model to stay alive and keep building while investing in original content, trying to make films, running around the world, like having personal things. If anybody could sit around and crack open whiskey and bitch and moan to their friends about how terrible life is, I could go do that. I don't because it is not productive. The fastest way I'll get to the destination I want to is through positively making an impactful change that orients my life in a better direction as efficiently as I can and as quickly as I can. It's the only thing I have control over. And if my whole life falls apart in that process, okay, but it won't be because I didn't leave it on the field. Do you know what I mean? Like if I lose, I lose, but it won't be because I didn't try. I had a couple of light bulb moments. Like, you know, I was researching who I would like to put on the good blast that are hustlers, but at the same time, they're not bullshitters, right? So yet I had two light bulb moments on the webinar. Mm. And I fell into this myself. It's like you were saying on one of the stage 32 webinars, you were like, no, you can put out your stuff, but keep working in the same field, but put out other people's stuff. In other words, be a work for hire. Yeah, big time. And I don't know if you've, you've experienced this. A lot of people were like, okay, let's use the waiter example. I'm a waiter. And then I just put out my other stuff. But my light bulb moment for you was like, no, no, no. You can keep practicing in that art or field by helping other people. And that becomes commerce or monetization for you. I mean, we literally run a commercial corporate agency and also make it. So we, I can tell you how we build our company. Our company has two uh, kind of like, I don't know, like, uh, funnels in some sense, like in sales funnels, we have corporate commercial work that we run and do tons of work for brands and organizations and, and, and tech companies and everybody. And we just run tons of great film production work through that, which you could call a day job. If you want, like, if my goal is to make movies, then sure. You can call that a day job. I used to call it bartending. Now I call it making good money, running a commercial agency. Also, I still love doing this. Like we don't dislike doing this or have any negative emotion. And, and also once you get to a certain point too, like the, the, the exact brand or company or agency you work with to like do all this with, it's just people that like, I love the people that we work with. Like our clients are like people I've known for years and we send bottles of wine to every year and I've been to their home and we've gotten drinks and been in hotels. To, like, like I know these people as like humans that I work with more than the brand and company that they work with. So that's amazing. And then we use our profits to make films that we care about. And that's a much longer sales funnel because as we get better in time, we will make a shit ton of money making movies. And that's going to, that's slowly starting to happen, but like, also it just takes a long time. So a big thing that I have a big advantage about being a young uh, filmmaker. And I, I was, I did a little Instagram post about this the other day is a lot of people think that the advantage of being young in business. So if you have anybody young listening to this here, this is my big thing I would tell you. People think the advantage of being young in business is, is the energy that you have to grind. I disagree with this entirely. You should never burn yourself out if you don't have to. The advantage of being young is having time to be patient with relationships. I can, can be patient with people. I can make this thing with Shane and Gillian Keeves and we could sell it tomorrow. We could sell in three years. It doesn't fucking matter to me. Like I can sell that when I want to sell that as it organically naturally evolves how I want to. And I can keep building this film agency and doing that. And we're making four other documentaries. Will one of them sell this year? Maybe. Will they sell in two years? Maybe. I can't tell you what's going to happen, but I can tell you that we're going to make something great, put everything that we have into it, put it out into the world, see what happens, get feedback, and then make something else. 
but we're going to keep making things because I know that we can, I know that we can make great content. And if we stay disciplined to getting better making good work and putting it out consistently, that's going to pay dividends in time, even though I can't tell you what those dividends look like today. Right. And the other light bulb moment I had was you were the first one, even Richard Botto couldn't give a fucking straight up answer, like a straight answer, right? Yes or no. I's or O's, binary. Uh, when I forget the name of the lady from um, Stage Story to ask you. Taylor, how, how, huh? Taylor Baker, I think it was her name. Yeah. Uh, brunette. Um, yeah. Okay. And I, I'm going to link it to Stage Story too because I want them to get plays. But Great. you actually answered, how do you get a project on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the providing of value and like, yo, there's social media, blast away, you know? Yeah. And, and you're like one of the few ones that actually gave an answer, which is, which is really cool, man. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm glad that that value, I, I want to see my longer version of that. They can go there, but I mean, you know, to chat about it for two seconds here for your listeners who just want to listen here. I mean, if you want to go sell something to Netflix or you want to go HBO or anybody, I mean, there are a couple of things that you have to think through. Um, see if I can get them all off the top of my head, but the reality is number one is, um, Talent, right? Talent is number one. You You're talking about the four horsemen right now? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to have talent, right? Like you need to have somebody who has an audience. Um, and also we're talking about probability here, right? Like there's no magic wand you wave. We're talking about things you can do to increase the probability of a sale to the highest level humanly possible. This is what a William Morris agent does. This is what a CAA agent does. This is what an executive producer does. This is what a studio does. This is what, this is what it is. Do you have a great talent that people care about and has a wide reaching audience that will monetize? Do you have a director or production company that can absolutely execute the vision to the way that you want it and make an amazing story? Then um, do you have uh, a story? Do you actually have a good story? And then timing. Does, people, does anybody give a shit about that story right now? Right? Like you have to have those four. If you don't have these four things, you don't have a great talent, you don't have a great director and or production company, you don't have a good story and the timing isn't working. That's, that can be okay, but you're not going to sell this thing. So also we have a great documentary that we've been working on for five years. Is it the political one? It's about, um, uh, Irish, uh, radical. It's a, it's a huge story. I can't talk too much about it. Okay. Oh, good. Oh, good. But, but, um, but basically story we have timing could be fine for our story. Um, I have the director, but we need to, so I would say I have director and, Timing will flush itself out, but it's not quite time yet. Um, we're building out the story and then we're going to get talent. But the reality is I'm not positioning this publicly in any capacity to anybody. My entertainment lawyer knows about it. And um, an agent that we're working with knows a bit about it too. And they're excited about it. But the reality is that like, there's a few things that we want to put in place to make sure are lined up before we are ever aggressive with it. Because I just, it's not the most probable time to pitch it right now. And we have other great projects that we're working on and we're committed to. And so the reality is that like, that's the patience thing where it's like, you have this amazing story. You have this amazing screenplay that you wrote. Squid Game was written 10 years before it got sold, right? Yep. That's the whole story with Squid Game. So yep. I think that's the whole thing about filmmaking or music or anybody who wants to be in any of these industries is like, keep creating. C creativity is not a limited resource. It is a muscle that you get better at using. There is no, it's not this like, oh, I have this idea. I'm going to waste it. You have an, an idea. I guarantee you, you write 10 more ideas. You're going to, you're going to wish you, thank God you never showed somebody the first idea. I mean, it's a muscle you get better at. It's not a limited resource. And so I think that just, you got to keep creating and keep going and positioning yourself as good as you can. And you're going to get no's, you're going to get yeses. And you know, the yeses feel good for a time and then you need another one. So it's also an addicting cycle of that. So Try and find peace, try and find contentment, try and keep growing, keep becoming creative, keep trying to find ways to provide money for your family and stay mentally healthy along the journey. Because if you lose your mental health, none of it fucking matters. I have one more question and I wanted to share some stuff that I learned from programming to you off mic. I will have the recorder off. Are you, do you have five to 10 minutes yeah, worth of time for that? Okay, cool. So I was speaking to someone and about this uh, future podcast because I'm excited to interview you. They were like, well, is is uh do you have to be a minimalist to be a great producer for the minimalist <laughs> right sure sure so let, let me set this up 
let's say your dad strayed in the Philippines and you and I are half brothers, right? Okay. I'm, Char- I'm Charles Matthew, right? Okay. Right. And I'm talking to you, pretend no one's listening. It's like, Jacob, uh, we really are buying that $50,000 chandelier for our borough home, retirement home, right? For sure, yeah. But you're still producing this minimalist thing. <laughs> but I want to make sure this Vegas bro caveman home that we're producing that's gonna be like a hectare size so we have the stripper poles that two short sold us from oakland our our pot room that snoop dog is doing consulting yeah are you still gonna be able to produce the minimalist sorry to set it up like that but okay because i am not a minimalist no problem i can answer this question okay the answer could be yes. And here's could why. Be. Because okay. minimalism philosophically is not actually about things in itself. It's about being clear with what you value and removing things in your life that do not add value to your life and bringing things into your life that do add value to your life. If that bachelor Vegas pad you're talking about is bringing genuine for real, true value to yourself, then keep it. If it's not, then get rid of it. That's minimalism in my mind. Listen, jo- Josh and Ryan are going to text me and be like, bro, you're, you're, you're bagging the name. But no, the reality is like, like, I mean, they're like close friends of mine. Like I'm like, we've known each other really, really well uh, at this point. And so I just got lunch with Josh not that long ago in uh, uh, Joshua, as he professionally goes, but in, uh, in LA, not that long ago. And, um, just before the holidays. And uh, when we talk about this all the time, but like, I think the, the true reality for anybody about that is it's not have white walls and only stoic architecture and like all these kinds of things. That's not what minimalism is. I think minimalism is, is simply that it is slowing down. And if there's something in your life that's bringing you anxiety, uh, a financial burden, or is actively taking away from your joy, happiness, and contentment, get that thing the fuck out of your life. And the things that do add true value to your life, keep them. That podcast microphone is expensive. Yeah, but it adds unbelievable value to your life. So of course you should have it. You know, it's not about um, essentialism. It's about minimalism. That would be my answer to the question. Awesome. Um, hopefully in the future, when you have your, like your consulting gig and teaching gig, I, you can be a guest again. We'll promote it uh, and we'll have it played on satellite. I'm, I'm a multi-network guy. So Love it. that sounds great. Yeah. I, I'm actually going to be, I mean, I can plug it a little bit here for anybody who watches this. Please, um, please. I, I'm, I mean, so I mean, plugging for me is, you know, go watch our film and all that kind of stuff. Go look up book light, you know, all those things, you know, go for it. You can find me on Instagram at, you know, at JCB Matthew and, you know, and all my other socials, I think are all the same. Um, yeah. I'll be for anybody who wants to more seriously consider, you know, like creative consulting and coaching and, have me kind of take six months of your life and help you map some things out. I'll in February, I think I'm going to actually have it launched in February. Um, so I'll be kind of more aggressively oh. putting that out here soonish. I, I don't have anything. I can give you a link and stuff when it's done. I'm like building it out right now, all my content. Um, but yeah, you could do that. I'd be happy to chat with anybody who wants to do that. And then um, otherwise you can just find me making films and sitting in my office, living a fairly in my computer entrepreneurial life that just looks like working hard and keeping my head down. And uh yeah, I hope my posts and things that I do add value to people's lives and um, are moving people in the right direction. That would be my hope in life. And where can people find you? Uh, at JCB Matthew. The Post Analog Podcast. Tune in for tradition, mental health, and conversation. For the Gen Xers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.